I, I rolled down the driveway this morning thinking I wasn't too impressed with the weather, but then I saw the smoke coming out of the, the chimney and I was like, ah, winter's not so bad. So. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Curtis, for warming us and lighting the fire this morning. Yeah. Well, did we... Um, that was a good question this morning. Did we, did we feel like we received something from, from worship? I think, you know, like I was thinking about that during the week and um, thinking about this idea of this idea of worship and, and receiving something and this being for us and um, it not necessarily being about God, you know, like he doesn't, he's self-fulfilling, Curtis said, he doesn't need anything from us in particular. In fact, what, what do I think that I could bring to God, my creator? Um, and I was thinking about this idea of what it is that we receive and I think um, in moments where we worship together or where I remember his goodness, um, I just become convinced I think, I think that's a huge part of it is that we just become so convinced of his goodness. And then from that goodness, we approach life differently. You know, it's, it's really about changing our minds to, to come to understand his goodness. I wanted to start this morning with a little bit of a story that I don't tell because it's a little bit painful. It's not that exciting. It's not that great a story, but... <laughs> uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't come up too much because it, it probably gets a cringe... And I mentioned it to my wife the other night um, and, and that's all she did. She didn't say anything. She just went, ooh, and then walked off. <laughs> oh, no, it's, yeah, it's only painful for me. You'll understand. But, um, yeah, there was, a, there was a time in life where uh, we were sort of gearing up to sell a house. We sold our house in, in Safety Beach and at the same time um, the Andersons, that's Curtis and his family, um, were sort of – there was a couple of us in limbo – as, as far as, you know, where, where it was that we would live. And there's another family, the Burgesses, that you guys might know. And um, some of the guys who owned this place approached us and said, hey, we looked at this property and you guys are all sort of in limbo. We wondered if you would be interested in this together. And, you know, we would even, you know, come and look at it with you and facilitate it. And Rob, one of the guys here, is, you know, has a background in building and could come and check out the house. And so we felt like we were in safe hands you know, taking a look at this building with him, the, this house with him, and it had, um, had a main house with a couple of dwellings and then a separate, um, like a barn conversion, which was really cool and spacious. And um, anyway, long, long story short, we considered this house um, and decided not to go ahead with this purchase, which obviously a lifestyle living in this house together would be a big change of lifestyle for us. We'd be living with a bunch of other people <clears throat> And um, one of the things that came out after uh, we decided not to purchase this house, it, it, side note, we now live on the same street as this house. So, and and the, the street is a U-shape. So I can choose to come to work by going the U-shape and onto the main road, but I don't because I have to go past the house. And, ooh. But, but the reason it's, it's cringeworthy and the reason it's ooh is because um, after the whole thing went down, um, a couple of people felt, they had a sense that actually it was a missed opportunity, that actually God had something for us in that place together. You know, like he, he draws people together and um, that, that was really difficult to hear. That's really painful even now if I'm completely honest because I feel like I missed it. I, I, it's, it's easy to feel like that. It's easy to feel like I, I missed something and Curtis is nodding and, and maybe cringing. <laughs> um, <sighs> And, and one of the things, my wife was one of those people that said, hey, I think, I think there was a missed opportunity. And one of the things that she said was, um, 
she's felt like there was a lot of fear around what this change of lifestyle would mean and this um, this living so openly with other people and being seen and um, that it, it would be difficult. It would be difficult to take your private life and to have it exposed to a group of people. So you can you can understand why there would be fear involved. I think um, you know one of the things that she said, and and she wasn't the only one, but one of the things that she said was she felt like there were giants in the land, and and I know I I knew what that meant, and that that's what really makes me cringe because. You know, there's there's the the Bible story which you might be familiar with, where the Israelites were asked to go and take the promised land, and they came back with a report saying the people are too big, the cities are fortified, there's giants in the land, and 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 fear ruled, fear ruled in that in that sense. So, um, I do, I want to read a little bit of that story this morning, but um, it, it's a long story, so I'm going to do my best just to catch us all up if we're not familiar with it. Um, Basically, the Israelites were enslaved uh, in Egypt. Um, so uh, Joseph moved to Egypt after being sold into slavery by his brothers. Um, he interpreted a dream for the Pharaoh, the king at the time. Um, he was he had a lot of favour and was put over in charge of the land and was the head honcho other than Pharaoh himself. Um, but uh, on on the back of that, he was reunited with his family and all you know good times. But on the back of that, um, the story goes that uh, the king dies and a new pharaoh takes his place and has no regard for the Israelites and no memory of really of of why they're there or, or what their purpose was. But one thing he does notice is that they're incredibly numerous, um, and so he becomes fearful of these people taking over his land um, and adopting it as their own. And he says um, that they might um, wipe us out and they might be the ruling party. Um, in the land and so um, he starts to oppress the people um, maybe mildly at first but um, when he begins to oppress them they become even more numerous which is the promise that God gave to Abraham he said you know I'll give you many descendants and this this starts to take place these people just become even more numerous as he as he presses on them so he really starts to really starts to oppress his um, his people and he declares that um, you know the baby boys should die. He tells the midwives, you know, kill the babies, and then he's, the midwives won't do it. So he's, you know, all, all um, male baby boys need to be thrown into the Nile River and, and killed. This was his decree, um, and Moses is born, <clears throat> and his mother, his mother doesn't want to give him up. His mother doesn't want to let him go, and um, she puts him in a basket and floats him in the river. And it just so happens that the Pharaoh's daughter finds him in the river. We're really glossing over this, by the way. I'm just giving you a bit of a backstory, and then I then I will actually read some of it. But it's it's a it's a great story, um, and 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 decides that she wants to rear him as his own. And it just so happens that um, his sister was watching the basket and approaches Pharaoh's daughter and says, "Would you like someone to care for this baby until it's ready for you to come into the palace with you, if you want to keep the baby?" And she agrees, and so his sister takes him back to his own mother, and his mother rears him until he's ready to go and be a part of palace life. So he's a, a Hebrew Israelite, reared by his own mother, not killed, taken into the palace and raised um, in royalty, basically. Um, anyway, he sees, he sees the oppression of his people and one day he kills an Egyptian who is um, treating one of you know, the member, members of his Hebrew clan. Um, he, he kills this guy and becomes afraid and buries the body and um, realises that word's got out that he's done this horrible thing and he's, he, he is worried about, 
you know, the recompense for his actions and he flees and runs off to another land. Um, and he gets married, becomes a shepherd, um, is tending sheep one day, looks up, um, looks up on a hill and, or a mountain and there's a fire and it's a bush and this bush is burning and um, he decides to go to it because the fire doesn't go out, the bush is not burning up and as he approaches, um, God speaks to him and says, take off your sandals, you're standing on it. <clears throat> excuse me, standing on holy ground. I've been a bit sick, by the way. Um, I'm, I'm on the back end of it, but that's why my wife and kids are not here. Everyone in our house has been a bit sick. So, I'm not usually a drink bottle guy, but I might ring, uh, reach for the drink bottle occasionally. Um, so it, the bush doesn't burn up. Uh, it's God, and, and God says to him, I have seen the oppression of my people, and I want to set them free, and I want to use you as an instrument to, to set my people free. And... Um, uh, Moses is is not impressed by the idea. Like he's he's pretty happy just tending sheep. It's a pretty simple life, and um, God's asking him to do this really risky business. And um, he's got all these questions, and he says, "Well, what should I even tell the Israelites? My own people, they won't even believe me. You know, like what what should I tell them? Like who should I tell them is sending me?" And and um, and God's response is telling it. It's it's not a human name. It's it's, um, it's a broad description. And he says, tell them that I am sent you. Um, and so it takes some convincing and God's promise to um, uh, have someone with him, Moses' brother Aaron, to, to speak because he says, oh, I'm not good at speaking. How will I do this? And um, Anyway, he, he, he goes. He goes to Pharaoh and he says, hey, um, you know, let my people go and um, performs... A miracle and um, Pharaoh laughs at him basically, laughs him out and says, no way, we're going to keep your people, how dare you, and makes the people work even harder and doesn't provide certain, um, doesn't provide straw for the bricks that they were being made to build. He said, make sure you make sure you produce the same amount of bricks and get your own straw, we're not doing it for you. And so the people are not too impressed with Moses. Um, Moses goes back to Pharaoh and says, let my people go, otherwise, you know, you'll there'll be issues with God and um, God is on board and God begins to deliver plagues. Um, at first, you know, they're seemingly uh, not harmless. They're harmful. But um, by the end of it, when Pharaoh's heart remains hard and God continues to send more and more plagues, um, Pharaoh has no choice and he says, okay, you can go. And he lets the Israelites go and they begin to they begin to wander out into the desert and God says, before you go, make sure that you ask um, all the Egyptian families for all of their gold and their silver. And um, so basically God has ruined the land of Egypt with these plagues. It says there's no greenery left in Egypt. Um, uh, there's a lot of death and destruction basically. But finally the people are free and then they ask for these items from you know, the locals, and they give of their wealth as well. So essentially, um, the Hebrew people plunder Egypt on their way out and God protects them from the plagues while they're there. And so um, they end up out in the desert um, at the Red Sea and Pharaoh, again, hardens his heart, changes his mind. We're glossing over, this is like, this is a big story. It's, it's fun to read, but um, Pharaoh, Pharaoh chases after the people, says, what have we done? We've let them go. We need these people back. 
um, they end up at the Red Sea and the people are afraid and, and God says, don't be afraid, stretch out your arm. Moses stretches out his arm and God sends a wind and starts to blow back the sea. So there's, he basically parts the Red Sea for the Israelites to walk through and puts um, uh, a, a cloud and fire um, between himself and the um, Egyptians so that they can't get to the Israelite people while they're crossing. Anyway, God removes himself uh, once the Israelites are across and the Egyptians come racing um, after them um, with walls of water on either side. And as they enter the sea, um, God closes the sea over the top of them and Israel has victory over the Egyptians. He shows his mighty hand. It's quite a story. Like that is, that's an amazing story. And so you, th- you would think, you would think that the Israelite people would just be convinced beyond a doubt at this point that, that God is with them and that they can face anything. And, uh, and they, end up, they end up in, in the, the desert and, and it's interesting um, what God begins to do with them. He begins to show them his ways. He gives them his laws. He shows them who he is by giving them ways to live. You, you can imagine the trauma coming out of that kind of oppression like they were treated horribly horribly um and you can just imagine these people were just surviving in a land that wasn't theirs scared for their lives every single day and and god begins to show them and teach them about himself and a new way of living by giving them his ways which was his laws he said follow these ways it'll be better for you and so um yeah, God, God says to Moses one day, hey, uh, come up the mountain. And he, Moses is up there for 40 days and God gives him the Ten Commandments. Um, and this is where we're going to... I know that was a lot. Uh, we've, that, yeah, we've really covered some ground, but I wanted to read a couple of pieces from the story so that we're, we're all on the same page as well. But um, yeah, basically, basically the people screw up. They, they don't do a good job at this point. So this is Exodus 32. It says... Then the Lord said to Moses, go down at once. So he's up on the mountain. He's been there for 40 days, sustained by God. And he says, then the the Lord said to Moses, go down at once for your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molten calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are a stiff-necked, stubborn, rebellious people. So it's interesting that uh, God had shown himself um, physically to the people in a cloud and in in fire, but in an intangible way. You can't touch those things, right? Um, We can't reach the clouds and we can't touch fire. It's it's beyond our capabilities. And and I think think that means something, do you know? I think think what the people did was... um, not looked on kindly by God because uh, I'm sure they appreciated what he had done, but they tried to put him in a box and tried to craft something solidly tangible that they could put together and grasp God and by doing so downsized him and reduced him to something that they could make with their own hands. And so uh, it became clear that the way that God intended to show himself to them was through his ways but essentially what they did was they rejected his ways and made something that they could touch to be him. They didn't, they didn't understand what was happening. God was like, hey, this is me. If you know me, this is the best way for you. And they rejected that and they said, no, we're going to make something that we believe looks like you and that's going to be better for us. They, and that's why God called them uh, a stiff-necked people 
They wanted their own way. They wanted to do things their own way. They came out of uh, the land in Egypt where that's the way that they worshipped gods. They made an image and they, they worshipped them and they wanted to conform to the patterns of the world around them because that's what they had seen and that's what seemed good to them. But God had set them apart and said, I'm your God. I am above all. My ways are higher. Um, I am greater and, and I have led you out of Egypt to set you free and I'm showing you my ways in order that you can live by them. And um, if you think of this idea of being stiff-necked, like, back, like they didn't have cars back in the day. They had donkeys, oxes, horses maybe. I don't know. I'm not a... Yeah. I don't, I don't know what animals. Camels? I don't know. They're in the desert. Um, but if you think of being stiff-necked, you're driving an animal. And if the animal doesn't want to go your way, you would call it stiff-necked because it's using its neck. You're trying to drag its mouth and its neck to go your way. But if it's pulling the other way, it's being stiff-necked. And that's what God said. Hey, these people are a stiff-necked people. And I started thinking about my daughter, who is um, just turned five. And sometimes she doesn't really understand that the things I'm asking her to do are for her benefit. One thing that she, she has this aversion to socks. She doesn't want to wear socks. Uh, it's really hard. Every, every morning, it's a battle. Every morning, I actually, I, I don't like doing the, you know, I'll, I'll do the breakfast. I'm like, Mel, you do, you do the dressing, the kids. Um, but what, often what she doesn't realise is that we're trying to take her somewhere real good. You know, like it might be a sunny day and we're trying to get her to go to the playground and she won't put her socks on and she'll use up her time um, that she could be playing, not wanting to put on her socks and then she'll have a tantrum and she'll have a meltdown and, um, and things don't look good from there. But uh, I think the reason, the reason why I'm sort of paralleling that is that you know, the people didn't realise that God was trying to get something good to them. They wanted to go their own way. They were stiff-necked and they decided that their way was better. And because of that, the, if you read the story, there's a number of consequences. But one of the consequences was um, the land that God was leading them towards to inherit from Egypt to this place he called Promised Land. He said it was flowing with milk and honey. This was the good thing that he was trying to get to the people. But because they were stiff-necked and trying to go their own way, God said... Eventually, he said, well, um, you can go up to the promised land, but I'm just not going to go with you. Um, otherwise, I might destroy you on the way, was his words, because um, God was angry with the people at this point because he was trying to get them, get something good to them, but they were refusing. And I want to pick up the, pick up the story here, because I think this is, this is a really interesting part. I find this interesting, this part of the story. So that was Exodus 32. This is a snippet from Exodus 33, and, and God's, uh, Moses speaks to God on behalf of the people. Now he's, This is Moses speaking to God. Now, therefore, I pray you, I pray you, we don't, we don't speak like that anymore, do we? If I have found favour in your sight, let me know your ways. So Moses is asking to know God's ways so that I may know you. So he's, he's recognising that knowing God's ways is the same as knowing God. He's recognising that that's how God is showing himself to him, him and the people. It says, becoming more deeply and intimately acquainted with you, recognising and understanding your ways more clearly, and that I may find grace and favour in your sight, and consider also that this nation is your people. And the Lord said, and, and this, is, this is crazy, like, Moses asks something of God. He asks a big thing, and this is what God says. And the Lord said, my presence shall go with you. And I'll give you rest 
by bringing you and the people into the promised land. And Moses said to him, and now Moses is laying it on. uh, And Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with me, do not lead us up from here. For how then can it be known that your people and I have found favour in your sight? Is it not by your going with us so that we are distinguished, your people and I, from all the other people on the face of the earth? The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have asked uh, for, uh, that you have asked for, sorry, for you have found, thank you, I'll I'll do my best, for you have found favour, loving kindness, mercy in my sight, and I have known you personally by name. Then Moses said, this, this, I, I felt like this part just took a turn and I didn't really understand it actually for years until I considered it a little bit more. Then Moses said, please show me your glory. So Moses has recognised that God's ways are the way that we would know him. And then he asks for God's presence because that's what distinguishes him and his people from all the other nations. And then he asks one more thing. He says, please show me your glory. And this is amazing, this part. This is one of my favourite parts in the Bible, actually. And God said, I'll make all my goodness pass before you and I'll proclaim the name of the Lord before you. For I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious and will show compassion, loving kindness on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man shall see me and live. Then the Lord said, behold, there is a place beside me and you shall stand there on the rock. And while my glory is passing by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and protectively cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. And I think what I didn't understand was what was going on here. Why, why was it that Moses was asking to see God's glory? And it's the same thing. What I've realized is it's the same thing that we were talking about this morning. You know, when we worship and praise God, we glorify him and lift him up and our hearts become convinced to follow his ways. Because it's one thing to know his ways, it's one thing to be taught his ways, but it's another thing to desire to do them. And so Moses is saying, I know you because of your ways and I must have your presence. And then he's saying, but show me your glory so that I may be convinced to follow your ways. And don't forget, like, Moses has got a heavy responsibility. If Moses is not the one following God's ways, then a whole nation of people is following someone who is going the wrong direction. They're stiff-necked already. Like this is a big responsibility. Moses must be following God. And so he says, and show me your glory. And it seems like, it seems like God is actually quite enjoying the interaction. You know, God said one thing and Moses comes to him and says, but can you do this because of this? And God says, yes. And then, and then so, and Moses asks for more and God says, yes. And he has this amazing encounter with God where he sees the back of God and he sees God's glory. And I mean, I can only imagine, I probably can't imagine what that experience would be like, but I, I'm sure that Moses came out of that experience absolutely convinced after all that God had done, after he had set them free, after he had parted the Red Sea and, and all the plagues and shown them his ways. And then finally Moses says, and show me your glory and he sees God's glory and he must have been just convinced as I have I have stood in this room with you sat in this room many times and my heart is just moved towards him because I can see him because we see his glory when we lift him up when we praise him when we worship him and our hearts become convinced that his ways are better I've lost my place oh sorry I get it get excited I did have notes um 
yeah, I started thinking of uh, obviously, you know, the, there's worship that's that convinces my heart. But I started thinking of the other times and the other ways where I have just been convinced beyond a doubt that God is good, that His ways are better, that I should follow Him, and and I think. Um, you know, miracles, stories, reading the scripture, singing with you guys, like uh, um, our hearts need to be convinced um, that, he's, that he is good. And when we're convinced that he is good, we, we, we desire to follow his ways. I think the story, I think the story that came to mind was, they're not here, but um, when Leela came, stood up and said, hey, uh, you know, Leela was, is, was getting on in age, not, I'm glad. Now I'm glad she's not here. In terms of having a baby, thank you. I've I've, I've clarified. In terms of having a baby, uh, a lot of people would not be choosing to have a baby at that age, and Leela had not had a baby. And she stood up here and said, "I feel like God has promised me that in January, I'll have a daughter." February. Sorry. She said that in February. Oh. Oh, sorry. I've got the story wrong. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for thanks for clarifying. Yeah. She did not have a baby. She'd never had a baby. They'd been trying, and God promised them a little girl, and it happened. Little Ella is with us. I think she did. December, just before January, just before January. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think my heart just became so convinced in that moment. I just saw a miracle. I saw, I saw God's back. Anyway, pull it together. You know, I think about I think about worship. Thanks, thanks, Steve. That's very encouraging. I'm glad you said that. I feel so much better. Um, yeah, I was thinking about thinking about worship, and and often, uh, you know, someone will walk into a church without experience of God. You know, from from a background of not understanding, you know, uh, the the spiritual, and and they walk into a church, and and I've seen them experience worship, and there's something that happens in worship that they don't necessarily understand. They're like, what's happening to me? I'm having a certain reaction here that I just don't get. And, and what's happening is, you know, like we have a spirit that when it connects with the spirit of God comes alive. And I think the answer is your spirit's coming alive. That's, that's what's going on. And so um, lift, lifting him up, glorifying him, it convinces us because our spirit comes alive and his spirit testifies to our spirit that we're children of God. Anyway, I want to I want to keep going with the story because it's a great story. So this is the this is the next chapter, Exodus thirty four. It says, um, and so and so God God says yes, I'll lead you towards the promised land. And and in in the next chapter, um, this is what he's saying about the promised land. He says, then the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you. Before all your people, I will do wonders never before done in any any nation in the world. The people you Gee, I'm struggling to read. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Obey what I command you today. I will drive out before you the Amorites, Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hevites and Jebusites. 
Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land where you are going, or they will be a snare among you. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, and cut down their Asherah poles. Do not worship any other god, for the Lord whose name, whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. God was not willing to allow his name to be tainted or come alongside the name of any other gods. And, you know, the people had um, already crafted the image of a god. And so God is saying, don't, don't partner with these people in a thing. They'll lead you astray because you need to be convinced of my ways and my goodness beyond anything else that you could possibly craft with your human hands because the... Um, the land that I'm leading you into and the things that I'm going to do require you to trust me completely. And when you think about, you know, the, the rest of the story, God's saying, hey, I'm not, I'm not willing to compete. I'm not willing to share the podium with anyone else, with uh, anything else other than me. If you would like to go into the promised land and receive it, um, this land flowing with milk and honey, um, then you just need to put all your trust and your hope in me. And essentially, you know, just to finish the story quickly, the spies go into the land um, and uh, a couple of spies come back with a report saying, hey, um, this land's really good, let's go up and take it. God's given us the land and a couple of, well, the rest of the spies come back and say, uh, give a fearful report. They say, oh, the people are too big and the cities are really fortified and we'll never, we'll never be able to do it. Um, and at this point... Uh, at this point, there's just fear runs through the camp after this report. And so God says to them, hey, after all that's happened and now after this, you guys, you guys are not going to enter the promised land right now. And he sends them back um, into the desert, knowing that they just weren't ready. They just weren't ready. After all that experienced, their minds were fearful and they had this captive thinking um, mindset coming from Egypt. And they had their own ways taken away from them. They came into the desert and they didn't want their own way taken away from them. And so they rebelled against God and God said, I want you to choose my ways regardless because I want you to see that my ways are better and I'm going to show you them in order that you would be convinced that your desire would change in order that you would follow my ways. And so he sent them back into the desert. You think about, you think about the Battle of Jericho. Walk, walk around. This is, this is when they did enter the Promised Land. Walk around a, a city... Uh, you know, for six days and on the seventh, cry out to it. Cry out to me. And the walls come tumbling down. Were they ready to do that? No, they were stiff-necked. They wanted their own way. They wouldn't have listened. They would have tried to do it themselves. They probably would have attacked a fortified city and, you know, yeah, they wouldn't have done well. So it's by God's grace that he led them back out into the wilderness. Um. Anyway, and in the, in, in the wilderness, a new generation of thinking emerged. Uh, you know, God said, all of those who are over the age of 20, you'll, you'll pass away out in the wilderness because this time is not for you. And a new generation was raised and they were witness to God's glory every day. They were provided something every day, their food and their water. They were sustained by him. They knew nothing else. They didn't know captivity. All they knew was a God, his ways, and that he would provide for them. And if they chose him and his ways, um, that they would be provided for and, and led by him. And so um, how much time have I got, Curtis? That was a long story, but am I okay? Keep going. An hour? Thanks. Um, and so I think about my experience with the house having missed it. And, and it's easy to feel 
like I missed it because I did. We did, potentially. And it's easy to feel discouraged by that. But it's also by God's grace that we didn't move towards something that we were not ready for. Um, but I want to be ready. I want to be ready the next time. I want to be ready the next time there's a... Sorry, I get emotional thinking about it. Yeah. I, I want to be um, convinced. I want to be so convinced that uh, I would um, follow his ways, that when the promised land comes in the future, that the thing that held me back previously would have died out in the wilderness. And so I look at what God did and I, I study that story because I'm like, how did you do it? Because whatever you did there, I want done in here, you know, because I want to be ready. And I think, um, I think one of the things that I battle there is that it's really easy to just try and pretend that it didn't happen. That's painful. That's too difficult. I don't want to think about that. I don't want to look at it. Let's just keep going. And that's actually, if you look at the story, that's what the Israelites did after God said, no, you're not coming into the land. You know, there was a bunch of them get up the next day and pretend it didn't happen. And they went into the land. And what happened? They weren't ready. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, they were attacked and they lost. Yeah, that is what happened. Yeah. So I don't want to pretend that it, I don't want to, I don't want to pretend that it didn't happen. I don't want to pretend that I'm not stiff-necked. Like I want to be able to have the humility to see myself in the position of the Israelites. We read that story and we think, what were you thinking? But we have hindsight. We have the whole story. But I'm in the story. I'm living the story. I'm stiff-necked. In ways, there are things that I just can't take a hold of with my captive mind and my captive thinking, and we're all in it together. We're all in the same boat. There is always more of God and more of his ways to come to understand. There is always something in our heart that needs to be surrendered to him in order that we would be convinced and desire him and his ways beyond our own. And we all have that opportunity. And it requires me to admit that, I'm stiff, that I am the stiff-necked person. And so um, I think, I think the, the thing that God showed me, and, 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 you know, it does require you to look at it. It does require you to delve into it. And so this is, you know, this is my personal story, but um, you can relate it, you know, to something for you guys. But I think the, the thing that, that God showed me in that story was um, a fear of judgment from other people. You know, this, this was my fear. This was my, this was my giant in the land, like... That's an interesting decision to make, to buy a property with three other couples and go and live in a commune, <laughs> if you want to call it that. And, and life would have looked pretty different. And I looked at some parts of the house and I couldn't see how it would work. And there were giants in the land. That was a giant for me. And I was, my, my reaction showed my stiff neckness. Yeah. Because I didn't come back and say, let's take the land. This is what God said. You know, he's already done all of this. I had what was in front of me. I looked at it and I couldn't understand it. I couldn't wrap my head around it. And so fear reigned in that moment. And I didn't get another chance. That was enough for God to say, hey, this is not, this is not the time. Yeah. And so I look at the people and it's interesting that um, God only took a generation to bring them to a place where the people could trust him and take the land, faced with exactly the same situation. They went and fought the battle, the battle of Jericho. They did it and God won. God won the battle. 
And so I was thinking about this idea of being stiff-necked and I felt like I was sitting there praying, this is just last night or two nights ago, I felt like God said to me, and I'll read it because I don't want to butcher it, but I felt like he said, um, when we're stiff-necked, we try to fashion something into God. That's what the Israelites did and, and that's what I was doing. When we trust in his ways, he's able to fashion us into the image of God. I thought, gee, that's pretty good. That didn't come from me because I'm not that good. And, and I started to think about this idea of um, being transformed into his likeness, into the image of God. And when we come to understand his ways and live in his ways, we actually live in the most spiritually natural way we could possibly live because we were created to live that way. We were created to live, you, know, we you, you and I are created in the image of God. Maybe not physically. This might not look like God. <laughs> but... But spiritually, um, we have fragments of his personality placed in us. That we have his gifts that are placed in us that we're to use for, you know, for his kingdom, for his benefit, for his glory. And so, um, so coming to understand that in the wilderness, what God was doing by show the, showing the people his ways was transforming them uh, and redeeming them back to live in a way which aligned with the image in which they were created. And that's his plan for you and I. That's his plan for you and I. And, and I'm, coming, I'm coming to a close, but um, obviously the first step is to admit that we vary from that alignment, you know, that we can be stiff-necked, that there is something in us that doesn't want to follow God's ways, that wants our own way. We want our own way. We are not different to the people. We're not different to the Israelites. But I don't want to feel obliged to follow God's ways. I want to want his ways. That's no way to live. The people wanted his ways because they were convinced they knew that his ways were better in the next generation. I want that. I want to be convinced. I want my desire to know that... Um, to, I, want to, I want my desire to be convinced that his ways are better. And so um, I started to consider, well, how do I get there? How do I get there? And um, we, don't, we don't live in the way that those people in, you know, live anymore. We live in a different time. We live in a different age. In fact, we have something better. We have something that those people didn't have. We have the Holy Spirit. And so um, the Bible says that those laws are no longer written in stone. They're written on our hearts. So when we choose to receive the Holy Spirit, when we say, okay, God, I recognise that your ways are better. Would you come and show me your ways and I want to receive your spirit? Those ways are written on our hearts and we know them. This is, um, this is God's promise. This is Romans 8, 12 to 17. It says, So then, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but not to our flesh, our human nature, our worldliness, our sinful capacity to live according to the impulses of the flesh, our nature, without the Holy Spirit. For if you're living according to the impulses of the flesh, you're going to die. But if you are living by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are habitually putting to death the sinful deeds of the, of the body. You will really live forever. For all who are allowing themselves to be led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery, which is, you know, relating to Egypt. You have not received a spirit of slavery leading again to fear of God's judgment. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, the spirit producing sonship by which we joyfully cry, Abba, which means daddy, translated to daddy, Father. The spirit himself testifies and confirms together with our spirit 
assuring us that we believers are children of God. And if we are his children, then we are his heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, sharing his spiritual blessing and inheritance. If indeed we share in his suffering, so that we may also share in his glory. And so there's the answer. And the answer is not that we have to try hard to feel obliged to follow a whole bunch of laws. The answer is that we have to be with his spirit. It's so much simpler than we make it. This is good news. This is good news. We just have to be with him. We have to be with him. And we will know his ways. And then Moses said, and show me your glory. Well, we see his glory when we worship. We see his glory when we share the good things that God's doing for us, in us, with us. And so um, I just wanted to finish as well by saying, um, you know, I don't think that getting it wrong and following our own ways has to cause us shame. It's really just God trying to move us toward a lifestyle in which we were created for because we were created in his image. And if we're created in his image and we get it wrong and choose a different path like the house, that's my experience. It's okay, he can redeem us. And the, the experience of the wilderness is a blessing because we can come to see and be convinced by living in his ways, which are written on our hearts, which means that all we have to do is be with him to understand him and seek to glorify him. And then our hearts will become convinced that his ways are better, that his ways are good. And I don't have to, I don't have to be ashamed. I don't have to be ashamed. Sin does not have to cause me shame. Following my own ways does not have to cause me shame. In fact, we're all going to do it. Because there is something in us. There's something with us that is the flesh. But this says, don't live by the flesh. Live by the spirit. Be with the spirit. That's the answer. It's a great answer. It's great because I don't have to follow a bunch of laws that's written on a tablet. I just have to be with him. It's easy. It's so much easier than we've made it. Anyway, something in me needs to die and the wilderness is purposed to make sure that that captive thinking dies out where it needs to. This is, and I'll fin- I will finish with this. I keep saying that I'll finish and then you're all on the edge of your seats, aren't you? Uh, you guys will get a chance to talk about it. This is Isaiah 55, 8 to 9. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are, my way, nor, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And so just as we break off and, and have a chat about this, I think, uh, I think a good question might be, can we relate to being the people? Can we relate to this idea that there is something in us that just wants its own way? And what do we do with that? And are we prepared to look at this idea that we might potentially miss assignments and opportunities that God would have for us, yet he has grace to lead us through the wilderness, to show us his ways and to allow whatever it is in us that has decided in our own arrogance and pride that our ways are better? Yeah. All right. I'm interested to hear what you guys have got to say about it. Um, We've got a few people here today. Let's maybe make it three or four groups.